The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Would you look with me now? We're going to look at Romans 5, 1 through 5, but I want you to back up and take a look with me in terms of this um, illustration that uh, of, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in the life of Abraham, uh, who was who was saved as a Gentile, and then uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what it says. Look at verse 18. In hope, he, that's Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, just as he was told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No. Unbelief, no unbelief, made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, why did he not waver? It was all against him. Here's why. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written just for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, in light of this, in light of Christ delivered up for our trespasses, in light of Christ raised for our, our justification, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may it be preached for you. Please be seated. You know, one of the things I am amazed at, I've said it before, but let me say it again. I have just... uh, In the calling to preach, you have to preach the word. To preach the word, you have to get into the word. And I can't believe that y'all give me a salary to do that. It is just so astonishing. So astounding. And as I've been doing this exposition, Paul's uh, magnus opus, uh, his uh, glorious exposition of the gospel of God, It just seems like every time I get to a paragraph, can it possibly get more rich, more glorious, more overwhelming than this? Can it possibly? And then I get to the next paragraph, and the answer is yes. (laughs) 
And that's where we are now. We're in this chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. That's a launching pad. But before I get to it, I need to back up just for a moment. We just did a confession from a passage of Scripture that takes hold of my heart every time. May I commend to you, I've done it before, R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, which is basically an exposition of that Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, that we just did as a confession of the Old Testament reading. Every time I come to it, I am astonished. I'm astonished because, folks, we were called, and to some degree, here in the assembly of God's people on the Lord's Day, that is to be repeated every time. We have just been speaking to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We have come into his presence in worship. He has come into the presence. He has personally come into the presence of his people in worship. Two times in your Bible, the heavens are parted and you're able to look not at the copy of the Holy of Holies, but the Holy of Holies. The throne of God. And there is one in Isaiah 6. The train. That's the sign of of majestic authority and power. The train fills the temple. The smoke. The pillar of cloud. The Shekinah glory of God. Just fills it up. The angels created as messengers and ministers of praise in the presence of God are equipped to sing of the holiness of God. Holy in the the normative. Holy, holy in the comparative. Holy, holy, holy to the superlative. And yet, angels who have never Sin in the presence of God are equipped with wings that cover their eyes, wings that keep them suspended in air lest they touch the presence of God, and wings that cover their feet lest they offend. The holiness of God. Even the inanimate objects like thresholds have enough sense to tremble in his presence. And he's been present here. And we have been in his presence. Even in these moments. There is the sound of joy. And the aura of reverence. How many times in our worship. Do we in the name of joy descend into triviality. 
or in the name of reverence, descend into morbidity. Yet there is a vitality of those two threads woven together in the presence of God when he is given praise by his people because they're in his presence. Holy, holy, holy. Have you ever noticed whenever a Christophany or a theophany, that's a pre-incarnate appearance of God in the Old Testament, usually denoted by the phrase, the angel of the Lord. Have you ever noticed what happens to those who encounter it? Or when you get to the incarnate presence of God and the ministry of Christ, and periodically the kingdom of power breaks in, we call it a sign, a wonder, and a miracle. What did the people do every single time? They fell on their face. They didn't go run around, hey, I got my miracle in my pocket today. When the presence of God and his power displayed, the next words you always hear, get up and do not fear. Do not fear. This is the God of glory. And I do not believe we will have revival. I do not believe we will have influence. I do not believe we'll have impact for him in this world, nor the ability to stand for him in this world and understand his attributes of grace and mercy until we understand His majestic holiness. Big God produces a great testimony for God. And here's the amazing thing. Because Christ was delivered up for our sins. And because he was raised for our Verdict of innocent justification. We now have peace with God. We now have the blessings of the gospel. And that's where Romans 5, that's what its purpose is. To give you five crucial legacy blessings of the gospel that flow From the atoning death of Christ where he bears our sins on the cross. And the triumphant resurrection of Christ that declares our justification. And and what Paul does is having shown us and declared the gospel, which is the power of God and the righteousness of God. That everyone is helpless and hopeless and apart from God. And now having shown us God's solution in chapter 4 in that glorious summation text that I told you I didn't think I could get more blessing out of a text than that one. Where the Reformation solas are, are surfaced. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the scripture alone is our only rule of faith and practice. Now comes chapter 5, and we've been ushered into, as it were, an office. 
let's say a lawyer's office. I know there are some of you out there. And praise God for Christian lawyers. It is an astounding testimony of the sufficiency of God's grace. And the lawyer reads for us from the death, the will. And here's your inheritance. And we don't have a full list of our inheritance through the death and resurrection of Christ in the new covenant will and testament of God for his people. What all we inherit. It's not all in chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. But five essential gospel legacy blessings are given. And last week we looked at the first one. Now one of the things I ask you to do is I ask you to try to find the five gospel legacy blessings uh, when you went home last week. And I already give it, gave you one from, uh, from Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. I've already given you one. And now today I'm going to give you two. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who went and found the five gospel blessings this week. But now you go back. If you haven't done it yet, go find the next three. I am not going to put them up there for you. Go find them. Go marinate in God's word for a while. It will bless you. And you can begin to discover them. But what I want you to see is the first one we looked at last week. Peace with God. Therefore, because Jesus died on the cross, took our sins upon himself, removing our guilt. Because Jesus gives us his righteousness. Therefore, he who was delivered up for our transgressions, raised for our justification, therefore, having been, note the declaration, having been, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, we're not waiting to see how well you do as to whether you will be justified or not. You are made right with God and innocent, forgiven of your sins, clothed with his righteousness. The gates of hell are shut because he paid for all of your sins, all of the sins of all of his people for all of eternity. And the gates of heaven have been opened because you have the righteousness of God. Therefore, having been justified. So let me just put it this way. What we try to do is fulfill the Great Commission, and we're somewhere between zero and 100% effective, to disciple through evangelism and discipleship God's people. And we want you to grow. And sometimes your growth is going to be three steps forward, two backwards. Sometimes one step forward, two backwards. Sometimes five forward and only one backward. There's going to be this uneven yet pilgrim's progress in the journey of grace in your life. Listen to me carefully. No matter how much you grow in God's grace and by God's grace, you will never be more right with God than you are right now. What you do for Jesus does not add to your justification. The blood and righteousness of Christ has justified all who are in Christ. Well, Harry, why should I do things? Well, that's simple. Because you love him. Who first loved you. And if you love him, who first loved you, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will never be more. Now, you may 
be more intimate with him. You may know him. You may be more effective for him. But you'll never be more right with God than what he did at that cross when he was delivered up for your sins, gave you his righteousness, and then raised for you. When he came out of that tomb, all of his people were redeemed by his blood and righteousness. We don't add nothing. We add nothing to it. He has done it all. And all to him I owe. So that's where we are. We've been justified by faith. Therefore, those who are justified by faith in Christ, what is it that you now have? Through him, what do you have now? You have peace with God. Now, that the reason that's a blessing is prior to your conversion and my conversion, prior to that, I was at enmity with God. Please hear that. The Bible is clear on this. It's not, I was not suspended in neutrality. I was not Switzerland. I was at enmity with God. The Bible is abundantly clear. My sin is actually my assault weapon against the holiness of God and the glory of God. Our sins were a declaration of our warfare against God, and God was therefore at war with us and our sin. We were in opposition to him. But when the Spirit of God gave you conviction of your sin, gave you a sight of the sufficiency and majesty and love of God who gave His Son that you might not perish, when that happened and you came to Him, now we lay down our arms, we repent of our sins, and we put our trust in Christ alone. And when our trust goes in Christ alone, now Christ is our peace. Boy, you see this throughout the book of Isaiah, but don't you love it in Isaiah 53 when the Messiah is prophesied? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You see, we now have peace with God. And because we got peace with God, Then in life's challenges, the Bible tells us we have the peace of God that guards our hearts and our minds. This is an inherited blessing from the death and resurrection of Christ. And just in case we miss it, Jesus underlines it for us. Do you remember in that last week before Jesus goes to the cross, he takes his disciples to an upper room. And in that upper room, he establishes the Lord's Supper. In that upper room, he gives them the new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. In that upper room, he sends the Spirit upon the apostles for their special calling in their apostolic ministry and anoints them with the power of the Holy Spirit. In that upper room, I mean, it goes from John 11 all the way down to uh, the end of John 17 in that upper room he does the high priestly prayer with its seven glorious petitions in that upper room he 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 not only does the last Passover but the first Lord's Supper all of that in that upper room he washed the feet of his disciples including the one that was about to betray him Judas and in that upper room he unfolded a piece of the inheritance as he looked at the disciples and he said to them peace 
I leave with you. Here's my legacy for you. I'm going to that cross to pay for your sins. Give you my righteousness. I'm coming out of that grave. And the result is peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. My peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. It's that peace I now leave with you. Now, by the way, you got peace with God, but you're not at peace. (laughs) We who used to be at war with God with our sins are now at peace with God and are at war with our sins. We're on a mission to kill sin. We're, We're in spiritual warfare now, for sure. We wage war not against principalities and power. We wage, not, not, we wage war against our sins. And we want to kill them because we love Christ. But that's not all. He says, now I'm going to give you another legacy. And I want you to take your Bibles and go back with me to Romans chapter 5. And I want to read it for you. And then just give you a few thoughts and then a takeaway. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse Uh, Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, legacy number one from the death and resurrection of Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, note the repetition through him who our Lord Jesus Christ, we have also here's another legacy. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we Stand. Now let's stop there. Here's your second blessing. We have access through Christ. We have access to God. Through Christ, we have standing with God. We have this grace. We're saved. Those who are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, have access to God and have What? Standing with God. Access to God. Now, why is that a blessing? Hang with me. Hang with me. The reason that's a blessing is if you're not in Christ, by divine decree, you do not have access to God. Nor do you have standing with God. And God himself has made that clear in his word. You do not have access to God. And you do not have standing with God. On the contrary. We have no access to God. We have no access to his presence. He drives that away. And not only do you not have access to God because of our sins, because of our sin nature, we do not want access to God. And not only do we not have standing with God, we have no desire for standing with God. Let me try to work on this just a few minutes with you. 
We're in a season where all of these Supreme Court cases are flying up to the Supreme Court. They're taking some. They're not taking others. Those that they don't take, there are various reasons why the Supreme Court doesn't take it, as do other courts. One of the things that you're going to hear is that they sometimes turn down cases on what grounds those who have brought them have no standing in this court. They have no standing in this court. Now, this is... um, This really begins to penetrate my heart as I think through it. Because there is coming a day when by command I will stand in the final court of judgment. But on that day, I will have no standing. I will be under judgment if I am not in Christ. We have no standing before God if we are apart from Christ. We have no access to God if we are apart from Christ. There is only one way of access by God's grace into his presence, and that's Christ. There is only one standing in the presence of God, and that is in Christ. Otherwise, we don't have access. And God in the Old Testament keeps showing us that in our sin, we have no access. We have no standing. But by his grace, there is a way to have access and standing. And where does it begin? Where does this lesson begin? Well, it begins right back in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, there's Adam and there's Eve, and God is with them in the cool of the evening, the presence of God. And then Adam and Eve sin against God. And instead of wanting access to God, they wanted access to being God. And instead of standing before God, they wanted to stand as God. So they listened to the serpent, and they took the fruit, and they ate And what does God do at the end of Genesis 3? What does he do? He drives them out of his presence. Out of the garden, they are cast. There, the garden is like the Holy of Holies, the dwelling place of God, the felt dwelling place of God. And they're driven out of his presence. And not only driven out, an angel is sent with a sword to keep them out. There is no access. There is no standing. And they have already revealed in sin they don't want that access. And they don't want that standing. What they want is to be God and stand as God. In the deception of sin. And then you begin to. All through the patriarchs. I could go through constantly. But let me just fast forward to Moses. And God by his grace. Delivers his people from bondage. He takes them to a mountain. Called the mountain of God. Mount Sinai. And it is there God begins to peel back. His work of grace. For people to have access to God. 
and standing with God, they must have a mediator. So God sets aside Moses, and they come to Mount Sinai, and God brings Moses up on the mount into his presence to give him his word, his very law. But what does he say to the people? Don't come up. Don't even touch this mountain. I am bringing a mediator on your behalf. But you have no access. You have no standing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do they want that access and standing? Oh, no. While Moses is up there getting the law, they're at the foot of the mountain breaking the law. As they engage in the worship of Baal, as they engage in the, in the orgies of Baal worship, in rebellion against God, in those very moments, that's what they're doing. But then God's long-suffering continues as he sets up a tent of meeting as they're in the wilderness. And there the presence of God comes into the tent of meeting. And then God designs the tent of meeting not only for his presence, but he instructs them, put the tent of meeting in the middle of the tribes. Put the tribes in a circle so that each tribe has access to me. Put the tent of meeting in the middle. And again... See his grace. They can't come in to that tent of meeting. And in the middle of the tent of meeting is the holy of holies. They can't come there. But he brings a mediator on their behalf. His name is Moses. And what do they do? They again play the harlot and go after the gods of the nations. And they take the tent of meeting. Go read Exodus 33. And instead of it being in the middle, they move the tent of meeting outside the camp. That's kind of the way we look at access and standing, isn't it? I mean, it almost sounds like 21st century um, current evangelical Christianity. We don't want God so close it affects our lives But we would like to have him nearby in case he's an additive for our life. And by the way, we'd love to have a pastor to go talk to God for us and come back and tell us things that he says. But to have him in the midst, I've often wondered what would happen. Not a circus and not a funeral home experience. If the felt presence of God was in the gathering of his people. I know one thing that would happen, the book of Corinthians tells us, when the unbeliever comes into your worship service, they will fall on their face and say, God is in the midst of these people. This is this isn't a, this isn't a concert. This isn't a board, uh, this isn't a corporate meeting to pump the shareholders. This is different. God is in the midst of these people. 
But what they wanted was God nearby. So God says, okay, Moses, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give, boy, just don't miss this again, Exodus 33. He says this to me, he says, he says listen, don't worry. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Moses. Uh, your people have sinned, so you strip them of their of their idolatrous ornaments, and I'm going to send you to the promised land. I'm going to give you and the people victory. I'm going to give you an angel. I'm going to give you milk and honey. I'm going to give you military success. I'm going to give you economic success. I'm going to give you all of that in the promised land. You get all of that, but I'm not going with you. And thankfully, Moses says this, God, if you don't go with us, then don't send us. Leave us here. For how do the nations know that we are your people? Is it not by your presence in our midst? Not our economic, away with the prosperity gospel. Not our economic success, not our military success, not our national success, not our political success. How do people know that we are your people? Is it not by you being in our midst and a people who love his presence? Well, we could continue to see how Israel prayed the harlot, played the harlot, and God cut them off. But then God is not going to stop fulfilling his promises. So he sends not a sinful mediator that needs his own mediator like Moses. Now he sends his son. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And he comes into this world and he lives that righteous life and he goes to that cross and on the cross he is delivered up. Why? Not a model death, not an exemplary death. He is delivered up for an atoning death. Atonement at one month that he is dying to make us one with him and him with us that we might have union with Christ. We're in Christ. Christ is in us that we have access to him. He he has come for us and not just access. He actually abides within us. And he was raised for our justification. So we who are at enmity now have peace with God. We who had no standing by his grace now stand because of our God. We who had no access have access because he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, that we would be atoned at one. In him, with him, our sins removed and forgiven, and that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Brothers and sisters, we now have access and standing in the Holy of Holies. Why? Simply this reason. Because Christ came from the Holy of Holies to our sin-stricken world and heart. To save us, that we might, we might have peace with God, access to God, and standing in Christ. 
So here's your takeaway. Let me give it to you and then we'll close in prayer. He, we who because, let's just kind of wrap this up. We who had no access to God, nor standing before God, because of our sins, and who had no desire for access to God, nor standing before God. Well, you say, well, just a minute. You may say to me, you know, Pastor, I'm, listen, I want you to know I want access. I want standing. Well, if you want access to that thrice holy God and you want standing, can I tell you why? That's why Paul said to you back in Romans 1, 6, 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is what? The power of God and what? The righteousness of God. Why do you have access? Why do you have standing? Because you've got the righteousness of God in Christ that gives you access and standing. And because, listen, the power of God has come upon you to change your heart. Now you want him. Now you desire him. Now you want his presence and to be present before him. The power of God and the righteousness of God that changes our access and our standing and what we desire. Now, let me go to the next part. Now, having been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are, listen to this, we irrevocably have and desire both access to God and standing before God now and for all eternity. Harry, are you sure? What if people get, what if people apostatize? What if they walk away from God? Folks, that doesn't change this. Here's what the Bible tells you. Those who profess faith but walk away never possessed faith. It's not that God's promises have failed. It's that their profession was not a possession. Here's the way John says it. They went out because they never really were one with you in Christ. But for those who have been saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, saving faith in Christ alone, irrevocably, you have peace with God. Tomorrow, when things start falling apart, go to your God. You have access. You have standing. Go in the name of Christ. Go led by the Spirit through the Word of God. You are His and He is yours. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's no charge against you. There's no condemnation. Christ took it away at the cross. His Spirit is within you. Now He is yours. But can I back up just one more thing on this? To have peace with God, to have standing with God, to have access to God, you've got to be in Christ by faith. But please listen. You will never believe in Christ until you believe Christ. Until you believe him when he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. You can't save yourself. Your works won't save you. You see, don't miss what I read earlier. Abraham believed God. That's why he believed in God's promises fulfilled in Christ. 
We do, will never believe in God until we believe God. And then when you believe him and believe that he's able, then you come to the one in whom all of the promises are yes and amen. And you believe by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That kind of, I don't know about you, uh, uh, let me just say, just uh, please, please know this. I mean, this ought to affect your worship on the Lord's day, access to God, standing before God. This ought to affect the way you live your life under the eye of God, in the presence of God. This ought to affect when you falter and sin Jesus has opened the way for you to confess your sins. And if you do, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the time you can go to him every morning in his word and prayer and come right into the holy of holies. The way has been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. That affects everything in life. And when the challenges of a broken world hit you, there's sickness, there's death, there's this, there's that, there's the other. There's confounding decisions to make. You flee to him and you flee to him. You have access to him. You have standing before him. Call upon him. He says, come unto me. Call upon me. And then he gives us. That glorious blessing of wisdom and peace and insight. All because of what he did for us on the cross. Well, I just love Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. But folks, you're going to leave here today. Either as his enemy. Or in Jesus. There's no in between. That's what he says. There is no in between. And I want you to leave in Christ. If you want to pray with somebody, they'll be up here. Come pray with them. I want you to believe in him. I long for you to believe in him. I don't want you to keep tasting the exhilarating sweetness of a momentary sin and its ultimate despair. I don't want you to worship the impotent, life-destroying gods of this world that cannot deliver except death. I want you to come to him in whose life, living water, breath, everlasting life. In Christ, you have access to him. You have standing before him. Come to him. I guess that's why I love the getting him. Did y'all know this is the 20th? This, I think it's this week is the 20th anniversary of the hymn in Christ alone that the Gettys wrote. I don't know about you, but from the moment I heard it, I loved it. It was biblical, it was excellent, the music, the theology, everything. As you went right through the Christian life, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. I mean, it was phenomenal. But maybe I could just share this um, this one little piece about it. Not long after it was written and it hit its fame, the mainline uh, Presbyterian Church and another denomination wanted to purchase the rights to put it in their new hymnal. And they wrote, they were going to write a pretty big check for, uh, you know, that's, uh, that was, uh, Keith uh, Getty along with Stuart Townend. Stuart Townend had come up with, I'm not going to give you the history, I don't have time, but they came up with the lyrics and Keith Getty took over and edited and composed and out comes this glorious hymn that we love to sing, In Christ Alone. And then, uh, as it is, uh, 
as it is um, given, they wanted to put it in. But they said, we have one edit. What's that edit? Well, that part that you said on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. We'd like to change that line. That when he went to the cross, the love of God was magnified. Still rhymes. And by the way, it's true. The love of God is magnified at the cross. But Mr. Getty said no. For theological reasons. He said, keep your, keep your check. The reason you know the love of God was magnified was because what he went to the cross to do. To satisfy the righteous wrath of God against our sins. So you could have peace with God. That's why I love that verse. Let me give it to you. In Christ alone who took on flesh, the incarnation, fullness of God and helpless babe, fully God, fully man, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. We didn't want access. We didn't want peace. We didn't want a savior. If there, if we need saving, we can handle that. Our religion can handle that. Scorned by those he came to save till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Why? For every sin on him was laid. He was delivered up for our transgressions. And here, in the death of Christ, I live at peace with God, with access to God, with standing. I don't need the wings to cover my feet. On that day, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in the presence of the thrice holy God, we stand. To the glory of God. Now and forever. Let's pray. Father thank you for the moments we could be together. I pray that no one will leave here Father. At enmity with you. With no access to you. With no standing before you. But today will come by grace alone, through faith alone, to Christ alone. And His peace will be their peace. They have access to you through the blood of the cross. And they have standing, for they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for the righteousness of God, and thank you for the power of God that changes the hearts of men and women. So no longer do we want our sin, but we want a Savior, the Savior, Christ, our Lord. In whose name I pray, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, 
visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.